0: Is
1: there, a message of necessity at the desk? there is a message of necessity at the desk. We to accept the message of necessity. The message is accepted. Welcome back to another episode of Messages of Necessity. As always, my name is James, and I'm here to go over a few of the key stories in New York that the Empire Center is following. Earlier this month, hospitals and nursing homes told state lawmakers that they faced a dire financial crisis and pleaded for more money from the state budget. Shortly thereafter, however, 90 downstate institutions approved a big wage hike for members of a healthcare labor union after reopening a contract that wasn't due to expire for another 18 months. The extended contract would more than double increases in the current contract, which were already 3% each in October 2023 and in 2024. The Empire Center and the Institute for Free Speech have sent a formal demand letter to the Office of the New York Attorney General to stop ongoing First Amendment violations. Pursuant to a 2021 SCOTUS ruling in AFP v. Bonta, states cannot force charitable organizations to disclose certain federal tax documents. But late last year, it was revealed that the OAG had not destroyed those sensitive documents after a Schedule B was published in a Politico article. The Empire Center filed several FOIL requests demanding answers after the leak and still has not received any information months later. And last, as we continue to follow the CLCPA, according to a new Siena College poll, nearly four years after its passage, most New Yorkers still aren't familiar with the Climate Act. And despite supporting aggressive action to reduce the state's greenhouse gas emissions, willingness to pay the associated costs of the Climate Act is low, and respondents were conflicted about the mandated transition from natural gas to electrification. For more Empire Insights into what's going on in New York, check out our blog at empirecenter.org. And now here's Debbie with a great interview.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Messages of Necessity. Today, we are speaking with somebody who has quite a commitment to the Empire Center and has really been an important part of the work that we do. And his name is Frank Suits. Junior and Frank is the chairman of a 101-year-old company. He is not 101 years old, but the company is 101 years old, and it's it's a privately owned company. It's going to remain privately owned. It's Suit Coats um, Corporation, and it works in transportation. We're going to learn more about the company, but also about what a company like that that has um, a long, rich history in New York, what they're facing and what their challenges are, and where they're optimistic. So, welcome to the show, Frank.
3: Thank you, Debbie. My pleasure.
2: So let's start with the Empire Center because um, I'm so uh, proud to be a, a fellow board member alongside you. Um, you you've been involved with the Empire Center for quite some time. How did you get involved with the Empire Center? What what made that uh, happen?
3: Uh, um, I I was uh, privileged to to be in the audience when uh, EJ McMahon uh, gave a presentation about the Empire Center. You know, a little over a decade ago, perhaps and. Um, and I I, I really uh, appreciated you know the values and the truths that were that were spoken and um, you know and those values and and that truth is I I think part of the integrity that uh, that we have at our company here uh, so I connected with his messaging.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. EJ, just for the audience, um, EJ McMahon was the founder of the Empire Center, um, the original uh, leader for the center, and and now Tim Hofer. Um, has stepped in so I'm really curious about being a business owner in Albany especially in upstate because we don't actually hear a lot about what those companies are experiencing now our office is in, in Albany so you know you we are um, at, at the Capitol. but how does the decisions at Albany affect your company and what is that what is that interaction like
3: um, the, the the transportation business, our, our our local roads and bridges are uh, very dependent on um, state and federal funding, um, and, and and maybe even more so in New York State than other states because of the cost of doing business here. But um, so 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 because of you know the, the dependence on on Albany and Washington, um, um, and and transportation funding. Um, you know, historically and typically, um, our, our industry has been <clears throat> served well from a financial perspective. In other words, there's. There's historically been a, a focus on, on, on the capital for for, you know, local roads and bridges. So 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 whether or not I approve of of government spending or not, is it a whole nother issue? Because mm-hmm. from a personal perspective, I'm a fiscal conservative. Mm-hmm from a business standpoint of view, um, the, the, uh, funding available funding is, is helpful to our company as, and helpful to us as an employer. And, and, and we do our best to, um, you know, move, move, move capital, um, you know, you know, from, from our earnings to, uh, in, an in investment, um, you know, in, in our company for, for the future mm-hmm. and, and, and for our employees. Mm-hmm. So, so the, the, the funding, um, you know, has been pretty strong. And, and currently we're um, in, in a strong position. Our industry is that, that is, and uh, as a result of the federal transportation bill, you know, and then it's gotta get through Albany and, and ultimately out to the municipalities in the street. Our our core business is, you know, does business with the municipalities in New York state. So so we're, we're very connected to the local level of of the transportation industry.
2: So what does your company do exactly? We're we're,
3: we're, we're in the in the highway business, Um, you know, you know, we we build roads, we pave roads, we preserve roads. um, um, All all, all types of roads from the New York State Thruway to a a, a little little village street um, to to a county highway, state highways, you know, every every level of highway in in, in New York and Pennsylvania, um, you know, we're we participate in.
2: Wow. So I'm curious how the transportation industry in New York has evolved over the history of your company. Um, so over a hundred years, what has what are some of the observations that you've had about how the industry has evolved or your company has had
3: in, 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 in New York state, being a, obviously a Northeast city or Northeast state uh, with a very old infrastructure. Um, so, so much of our transportation system is, is deteriorating, you know, Underneath what you drive on, mm.
2: um, oh, cool. you,
3: know, you know, for example, the New York State Thruway is, you know, you know, ca- call it a seventy-five year old pavement um, that w- was designed originally for fifty years of service. Um, you know, a- as is the interstate system. Um, so. Uh, everything is is really getting to the point where it's it's structurally deficient hmm. and and even in our cities, you know the all the pipes and sewers and everything under the ground that we don't see um really is is crumbling as we speak hmm. uh, which was originally what the plan was for the federal infrastructure bill, but um that fell well short of that
2: I see well that's a serious issue um, that's a yeah very, its
3: very very serious um, yeah. and, and and I I, I I have the pleasure of of observing these these challenges that our society faces on, on all levels, from, for example, the New York State thruway down to a, a little town road. You know that that you know that the, the farmers need, need need to to get their their milk and their crops to the marketplace.
2: Mm-hmm. So let me ask you because um often people think of New York as having two parts, right? There's downstate and there's upstate. How does this issue Around transportation play out with the upstate downstate dynamic.
3: Um, the, the, there's definitely two parts. Um, okay, <laughs> yeah, upstate and downstate. No different yep. than New you know New York is to New York City is is Chicago we're to Illinois. Yeah, um, the, 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 the the population um, and and the political power is in New York City hmm. downstate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and that's logical. Mm-hmm. And and again, I I can't complain. Um, you know, from a funding perspective, relative to to upstate, um, but but certainly the, uh, you know, you know, you know, because the the, the money and the power is downstate, um, and and there's dra- dramatically different conditions that exist downstate. Um, I, I I think there's not not a great uh, appreciation for the challenges that we face up here mm-hmm. because up here, the the local road system is eighty five percent. Of all the miles of road in New York State.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: You know, that they, they they that downstate, they've got very few miles, more people, but few miles. We have miles and miles and miles. So 85%, that's that's what we pay attention to. And, you know, and, and I th- I think, you know, from a spending perspective, Albany does a, a, a decent job at at supporting, you know, the infrastructure in upstate New York.
2: You know, it's occurring to me that another difference is that downstate, you have other options alongside the roads right and the bridges you have the trains and you know the the boats mm-hmm. even on the Hudson um upstate we're dependent on our roads it's not as though you can you know catch a train from from one corner to another or even a plane from from one corner to another unless you own one so we are dependent on the roads upstate is that that's all oh, 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 oh,
3: we, we we sure are I I yeah. think there are there are lifeblood um with, with, without them you know how do we get around you yeah. know how do we get from point A to point B? How does, you know, how, how, do, how does commerce occur? Uh-huh.
2: You know, yep. how, agriculture do food? Food. how do we get our food to the grocery store? I mean, yeah, right, really right. right. So if you had, uh, you know, there are lots of people who talk about the business climate in New York as being particularly rough, you know, compared to other states. What would you do to improve that business climate? I mean, what are some of the ideas or or suggestions if you had, if you had the power what would you do to improve the business climate
3: if 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 i had the the power and the authority just do um, it yeah i i would attempt to reduce regulation and 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 and, and try to make it more common sense mm-hmm. and in, in the reason i i phrase it that way and, and 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 i'm i'm supportive of 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 logical smart regulation very supportive mm-hmm. um, i think i think as a society we need that um you know, we, we need law and order, mm-hmm. but, uh, but 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 in, in our our field, um, since we, we do business with every level of government from an infrastructure perspective, any regulation that our industry realizes, for, you know, from Albany or New York City, increase our costs, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. you know, wh- whether it's labor, materials, environmental, all the above um, increase our costs. So, so we are forced as an industry to pass on those costs to the taxpayer, which we're also one of right. that, that that's, what's incredibly frustrating to me is, you know, our, our industry keeps getting more and more expensive to its customer, which is ourselves. Yeah. So, so it's a, a spiral that just keeps going down and down and down. And, and, and that's, what's truly disturbing to me. So, mm-hmm. so I, I would, uh, I would be supportive and, and implement all the smart regulation I could.
2: So, okay, that's a really important um, relationship that I'm not sure is obvious, right? So you have regulation that increases costs for the industry that is providing the service to the taxpayer who, who is uh, funding funding the infrastructure that all, So. It, this this cycle. So, you know,
3: yeah, yeah, well, what's what's the end game? What is the end game?
2: So some. You
3: know, I I made the comment earlier that the federal yeah. infrastructure bill didn't do what it was supposed to do, yeah. and 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 that's because of the cost. That's because of the cost. Which you know, and, and then then, you, then then you add inflation to that. Yeah. But, but, but it's the cost of doing business. Wow.
2: So we're so one of the one of the things people you know, once they realize this relationship, it's almost like, where do you start to roll back regulation? Because it is such a complex and, you know, interwoven system. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you believe it's possible for us to start rolling back regulations on transportation?
3: I'm I'm an optimist. Uh And, um, you know, and and I hopefully a realistic optimist. I, I believe that we, we, we have we have limited power as, as individuals, but um, I, I I I still think that you know if if we all wake up every morning and go to work and and try to do the right thing for for people that that positive change can occur. You know, I I know that's a that's a kind of a fluffy you know general you know reaction or comment to your question, but. Uh, you know, you know what are our options? Um, I I don't have the option to move.
2: Yeah,
3: I don't have the option to go to another state. Like like our children, mm-hmm. my children are gone, and, and and many other children from families are gone too. And and we know we know that's a problem facing New York State. Um, but but you know, in in our industry, we we have plants, we have facilities, we have, you know, aggregate mines. Uh, for construction, building, and and transportation construction, um, we can't move those. We can't relocate. You know, it's 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 not like taking our laptop and yeah. going and sitting on a beach right. someplace.
2: Right. This is not a digital nomad
3: industry. That is. Yeah. Sure. No. No. We we we, yeah. we we are physical. We we are yes, here. You know. And so, so so how do we live with all that? You know, yeah. try to make good decisions every day.
2: Yeah. Well. It is actually incredibly inspiring to hear you be this optimistic about the fact that we can make better decisions and good decisions. Um, I think that's an important, important um, orientation that all of us need to to hold on to, that it is possible and we can do it. And there there are places to start. We have to just look for them. Um, Frank, I really appreciate you really bringing that to light for, for our audience, because I don't I think we drive the roads and we don't think about everything that is involved in maintaining maintaining, building and ensuring those roads are safe and and your company is doing that. So I have one last question for you, and I'm really curious of the answer. So there's one road that you would pick in the state that folks may not know, but is an absolutely beautiful drive. What road would that be? Um.
3: Well, first of all, there there's many of roads that are that are a beautiful drive, and, and specifically the ones that Suco has is done. But um uh, <laughs> uh, but but I, I'm gonna pick um, R- Route 41, which okay. in Cortland County, uh-huh. going north along the east side of Skiniatus Lake to the village of Skinialis. There's some scenic overlooks on that on that route and um as, as a kid I grew up on the south side of the lake so so that that's just personal to me but there's many of them
2: there's especially
3: of them. up here along the finger Lakes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's beautiful.
2: Well I'm gonna have to look that one up and make sure that it's a destination that we at the Empire Center um, that all of us know where that is and maybe we'll take a trip up there and uh and, and, that and
3: and that and I there. and I, I will host you.
2: That's awesome <laughs> all right well we'll see you up there and in the meantime thank you for thank you for coming on the show and, and sharing your perspective.
3: Thank you for your commitment. I appreciate that. My pleasure.
0: Thanks, Frank. So welcome back to Messages of Necessity. My name is Bill Hammond. I'm the Senior Fellow for Health Policy at the Empire Center. Um, And today I'm going to be talking to Ken Gerardin, also with the Empire Center. And our topic is the prevailing wage. Um, We're going to be explaining what it is in a few minutes. But let's just say that it's, I think of it as kind of the sand in the gears for all manner of public policy issues in New York state, including um, mass transit and infrastructure and our response to climate change. Um, So Ken, why don't you start off by giving us the short version of what the prevailing wage is and how it works.
4: We could probably have a fun party game just trying to name one part of public policy that isn't screwed up by New York's prevailing wage. Uh, The prevailing wage is probably the worst public policy you've never heard of in New York, partially like Bill was saying, because it touches so many different parts of what government is trying to do at either the state or local level, partially because the the cost is so high, um, partially because there are so many bad political incentives to protect it, The long and short of prevailing wage is that it's a requirement for any state agency or local government or school district or county to pay uh, construction union wages and benefits um, and follow construction union work rules on public projects. This is a policy that dates back to 1894 in New York when the first prevailing rate law was passed. Um, At the time of the the end of the 19th century, you had a lot of immigrants coming into New York, uh, which really was uh, making uh, you had you had all this abundant labor coming in. Um, There was a desire by folks in Albany to have New York set an artificial floor for how much people were going to pay on public construction. Um, And kind of the unwritten part of this was it was to make it uh, less advantageous for immigrant workers to come in and outbid uh, native New Yorkers and whatnot. Uh, When the federal government adopted their prevailing wage law about 30 years later, they were a lot more explicit about it. The legislative record shows it was to keep black people from working on jobs in Northern states. Um, The federal prevailing wage law was, was written by uh, a Long Island Congressman who's uh, who had a district where folks were upset that people had come from the South to build a veterans hospital there. So this is something where the state has deliberately increased the cost of uh, construction. Now, the way that the prevailing wage, um, which is is calculated, is the state is supposed to do a census of the workers in every region of the state and every trade. So carpenters, plumbers, laborers, the state's supposed to go out there, do a census, find out what most of them are, are getting paid, and say that any public employer who's doing any kind of work on this must pay above above this rate. So if you're doing a school renovation and you have carpenters working in there, you are supposed to, this is this is ostensibly to make sure that you are paying your carpenters what the standard rate for carpenters is in your area. Um, unfortunately for us in New York, the state hasn't actually done a census in more than 40 years. And instead, the way the state of New York sets the prevailing rate, uh, the prevailing wage is by copying and pasting the terms from construction union contracts. Now, in theory, this would be okay if the construction unions represented the the lion's share of workers in every trade and every part of the state. The problem is they don't. We have federal data showing that the construction unions on the whole only represent 30% uh, or so of all construction workers in New York. So the state is kind of crossing its fingers and uh, you know, copying and pasting these union contract terms and saying, this is what prevails in these areas.
0: So um, I want to I to jump in here for a second, because this is an area where um, there's a big difference between the federal prevailing wage and the state. The federal government also has a law like this. And um, it basically means that when you let you let's say you're building a bridge and you You go out to construction firms and you say, you know, give us your proposal for how much this bridge is going to cost. If it was a private citizen who was doing it, they could pick the cheapest one. But the federal government and the state both say, no, you have to pay union wages. Um, The definition of a prevailing wage in the the federal level is the wage that applies to at least 50% of the population. Is that correct? The definition of prevailing, the word prevailing in New York is what?
4: On paper, it is 30%. You are saying that oh, 30%. 30% of folks in this trade, in this area are are represented by a union. So we're gonna use that that union's contract.
0: So right away, the word prevailing is kind of misleading because under the federal system, it has to at least be half of the workers are making that level in New York the majority of workers can be making a different wage but the the state still imposes the higher wage um regardless and the and, other the, the other half of the phrase prevailing wage is the word wage this law doesn't just apply to wages does it
4: it does not in, in fact when we say prevailing wage in new york what we actually are doing is not just promising to copy the pay rates from union contracts, but also the benefit levels. So there is something called a, a supplemental rate that workers have to be paid. And uh, for a lot of construction unions, these are these really inflated healthcare and pension contribution rates that are bailing out underfunded plans. So you can be paying some- Underfunded
0: pension plans.
4: under Underfunded pension and healthcare plans, yes, where- on top of their hourly rate you are for for their wage you're paying sometimes more than $30 per hour work into their pension and, and benefit system and then on top of that benefit stuff you're having to to comply with the union's rules for how many apprentices can be on the jobs when is time when is uh, when does time and a half have to be paid when does double time have to be paid i once saw rules for paying quadruple time in a uh, you know in a prevailing wage schedule, and this wasn't something that was um, you know this wasn't some kind of common practice in New York where it was uh, you know the the custom among fifty one percent of people in a region in a particular particular trade, it was something that was worked out in a union contract.
0: How much difference does it, what's the difference between the prevailing wage and benefits et cetera versus what? what you would pay if you weren't under the prevailing wage law. Do, do we have information on how much difference it makes in terms of it's dollars di- and cents?
4: It's difficult to say, but it is significant. Sometimes it can be, um, like I said, because that supplemental piece is so big, that's not money that's going in directly into anyone's pockets. If you're paying... Um, you know, if if you're if you have this $30 an hour in supplemental money that is going to pay for pensions that were already awarded years ago, that's not affecting a worker. So your your gap between your rank and file folks can be it can be 20 bucks an hour between what would normally be paid to people. And this is these this can be to, to well-paying occupations, where you have non-union folks who make up the majority of the construction trade in New York. Um, you know, comparing what they would get on a normal job with prevailing wage. And the problem with that is that's that's all a premium that's added on to these public construction jobs. That's on a municipality that's laying a pipe, that's on the MTA trying to build a subway tunnel. They are having to pay this inflated rate.
0: Do we have a a rule of thumb for how much it adds to the cost of a project percentage-wise?
4: Ah, uh, the Empire Center in 2017 did a great report. E.J. McMahon and Ken Gardner uh, found that they estimated that it added 13 to 25 percent to the cost of constructing a building, um, and depending on where you were in the state.
0: You know, um, I, I think I saw a story out of Buffalo where they're build they're they're getting ready to build a new Buff uh, uh, football stadium. It's getting a lot of state aid something approaching a billion dollars. And as a result, it's subject to prevailing wage. Am, am I correct? Um, and what, one of the complaints is that because of the prevailing wage law and because of the basically requiring the use of union labor, that you're not gonna be employing local people on the project. How does how does that work? Does Does it result in in the use, I mean, it would be ironic because originally it was supposed to prevent the use of immigrant labor, but now it sounds like it's incentivizing the use of laborers who aren't necessarily from the community to come in and work on the stadium.
4: There was a crazy story about that in Saratoga County about 15 years ago, where the state of New York put up, put, um, you know, using, using a few different policies, essentially steered work to uh, unionized construction firms. Uh, building a fab in Malta, the global foundry site, and they they barred a, a major contractor that was ten miles away from the site from bidding on the job because they put all these union mandates on it. Well, the general contractor, I believe, ended up coming from Maryland, and and bringing a you know bring bring a bunch of folks there too. So it's not surprising that you have these um, these these perverse effects when you go and try to rig the system this way,
0: and. We start out by talking about how this affects a wide range of um, public uh, policy initiatives. We, we talked about the Buffalo Stadium. That's, I mean, that's it's, a, it's for entertainment purposes, but we have this huge push right now to transform our energy system. And that involves building all kinds of generating facilities, uh, windmills, uh, solar arrays, but also um, the infrastructure to connect those generating facilities to our homes, so um, uh, transmission lines. Is all of that construction, which is gonna cost billions and billions of dollars, is all of that covered by prevailing wage?
4: Uh, With few exceptions, yes. What this means is that the prevailing wage law is going to make New York's energy transition to a a low carbon or carbon-free economy go slower and cost more.
0: And there's like an opportunity cost, right? Because if you're building a, a windmill farm and it's supposed to cost, like, you have $10 billion to build windmills, um, and you put in a prevailing wage law that adds 20% to the cost of the project, that means you're getting 20% fewer windmills for your $10 billion, more or less. Can you talk about the politics of this? Why would the state? Uh, routinely add eighteen to twenty five percent to the cost of not only its own projects, but also the projects like energy transition that it's trying to uh, encourage.
4: Like I was saying before, there's no public benefit from having the the prevailing wage. There, there's none. The only people who benefit from this are the you know, are, are New York's. Politically wired construction unions. And the way that they are are protected under this system is that the state labor commissioner uh, right now, it's Roberta Reardon. She's not the first person to do this, but she is the you know, she's been there for several years. Roberta Reardon makes the conscious decision to set the prevailing wage equal to the construction union wages and and benefit levels and work rules. Um, they make a conscious choice to, to ignore census data, to ignore federal payroll data, and just make these these blanket declarations. Yes, this is we deem every trade in every part of the state to represent thirty percent of the people working in those trades in those regions. It is something that is not borne out by the data, and the the incentive to do it is you are steering work to a politically wired constituency and there is no official downside chiefly because people don't understand prevailing wage if people if this cost maybe 10 times as much as it did people might wake up to it but just the fact that you're hitting projects with maybe you know it, it depends but you know 10 to 20% of a cost premium people don't really wise up to that especially not in a in a state that spends as much as new york does
0: so um I I remember the first time I read one of EJ McMahon's reports about this. I remember my jaw kept dropping (laughs) lower and lower um, because I remember thinking okay, the federal government, the word prevailing, the idea of 50% of workers being in a particular wage category. that almost sounds like prevailing, and you're and so you're saying we want to, we don't want to be bottom feeders here. We want to pay the normal rate, maybe at the high end of the normal rate. New York State doesn't do it that way they they set the the target at thirty percent. in other words, only thirty percent of people have to be making that wage, but then they ignore the thirty percent threshold because we have evidence that in parts of the state. Unionization rates are way below thirty percent, and so in those areas, the prevailing wage probably shouldn't even apply. Right. Correct? And, and, yeah, correct. Correct. Absolutely. And then the next thing they do is, as you say, they take the contract language instead of doing the census. And then my favorite thing is that when we submit freedom of information requests, asking them to share the basis. For the wages that they have established, what happens
4: um it it depends we've i've I've made multiple attempts to get my arms around this uh, this year was the most fruitful instead of being told no, we can't, the labor department has surrendered uh, north of ten thousand pages of records and the, the problem there is so far looking at these records, none of them reflect uh, People, uh, any of these unions representing more than thirty percent of workers in an area, they're just giving, they're just turning over every contract that they seem to have looked at in the past ten years. But if I could single out one really bad actor, it's one thing for the labor department to do this because they've been doing this for so long. It's it's one thing for the for the governor not to want to upset a political constituency. Um, you know, she should, but I understand her not wanting to do that. The really, really bad actors in all of this. Are the state lawmakers who kvetch endlessly about unfunded mandates? They are. They are so upset about unfunded mandates, and they never really t- seem to want to talk about prevailing wage. Um, you know, again, because it serves a political constituency. They don't want to be tagged as anti-union. They don't want to be uh, accused of being against local jobs. But all these folks who want to complain about every Every document that has to be filed in triplicate as an unfunded mandate, or or every instance where someone has to do something uh, ministerial at Albany's behest. They want to complain about that. But something that makes it, you know something that that essentially makes them them pay ten to twenty percent more for pipes for roads, for buildings. Um, They seem to really have clammed up on it. So I would single them out for for special criticism here on this policy.
0: That has been a great discussion. Thank you very much, Ken. And that is our podcast for today. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to give us a review and subscribe at empirecenter.org.
1: For more news and analysis, visit our website and sign up for email updates at empirecenter.org. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Empire Center.